2: The Rod here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listening, you'll know, great to be back with you on this Tuesday after we took a little break for the uh, Labor Day weekend. Hope you had a great weekend as well as we now deal with this uh, powerful hurricane-like winds that we have out there. Uh, last night and again this morning, they've died down a little bit this afternoon forecasters are saying they are going to come back tonight. So, as they say, batting down the hatches. right? Um, eight weeks from today, we will be voting on a uh, in the presidential election. Uh, We've got some presidential debates to handle before that all comes up. Now, one of the uh, real interesting issues of late has been what's going on with mail-in voting. You had this story coming out of Georgia today, where top election officials there said that their office has identified 1000 cases of double voting in the June primary election, a felony. uh, If in fact, they track down the people who are involved in all of this, it's just part of the ongoing debate over mail-in voting in this country. Now, The state of Utah is one of a handful of states that has been doing this for quite some time. But over the years, we've found issues that we've had to deal with and fix. And I think for the most part, people here in the state of Utah are comfortable when it comes to mail-in voting. But Utah lawmakers have now moved to put a ban on ballot harvesting. Let's find out more about that. Joining us on our Newsmaker line is State Senator Todd Weiler. Todd, how are you? And welcome to the show. Great to have you back on. Thanks, Rod. Todd, what about this debate over mail-in voting? I know here in the state of Utah, we've been doing it for a number of years, and I don't think we've run into any problems. I think the concern that a lot of people have is in these larger states, can they turn this around as quickly as we have here in Utah, knowing it's taken us a couple of years to refine it?
3: Yeah, probably not. And um, what most people don't realize in Utah is that um, every single signature on every mail-in ballot is checked with a signature already on file. Most of the times it's checked with your voter registration signature And every single signature is checked. If they don't match up, your vote's not counted until you come in and explain. For instance, you may have developed a medical condition like Parkinson's or something like that. Maybe, you know, your signature's changed because of that. Um, But in any event, um, I, I do think it's secure in Utah, but there's only six states in the country that, that do mail in voting, like Utah, the rest of them it's just an absentee ballot or or show up
2: and vote uh, in person. Lawmakers have moved to put a you know make sure everything is doing being done right and check things like ballot harvesting. Exactly what have lawmakers done of late?
3: Well, yeah, during our special session in August, we um, we strengthened our law against ballot harvesting. And just so you know, ballot harvesting would be when a political campaign or a party literally goes door to door and collects people's ballots and, and says, you know, we'll turn them in for you. And that's just fraught with problems. You know, for instance, Rod, I might come to your door. I'm just using a hypothetical <laughs> and, and say, Hey, have you voted yet? And you're like, well, I haven't, but here's my ballot. Uh, I'll let you turn it in for me. Oh, and by, my, by by, the way, here's my wife's ballot and I think she voted for Biden. So maybe I turn in your ballot and I forget to turn in your wife's ballot. I mean, that's a simple example. Another example might be, hey, I haven't had time, and I say to you, Rob, just go ahead and sign it, and I'll fill it out for you. Do you see a problem there? I mean, ballot harvesting is fraught with fraud, and so in Utah, we've taken extra steps to make
2: sure that's illegal. How do you do that? I mean, what are some of the things you've had to do, Todd?
3: Well, um, we had a law in the books that kind of, if you... If you you know stood on your head and shut one eye, it looked like ballot harvesting was illegal. We have made it explicitly clear. I mean, the the 2020 voter guide put out by the LG's office, Lieutenant Governor's office here in Utah, says that ballot harvesting is not allowed. But the law was a little bit ambiguous, and so we've we've made it crystal clear that ballot harvesting is not allowed in the state. And anybody that's caught doing it, I think, could and should be prosecuted.
2: What about uh, other issues? I I, I want to go back to ballot harvesting. I'm sorry. First of all, are you aware of any cases where we have had ballot harvesting here in the state?
3: I'm not. um, Someone showed me um, a a Huntsman supporter back in June, you know, right before the primary Mm -hmm. that says, hey, if you haven't voted, you know, give us a call and we'll come get your ballot. I don't think that was coming from the campaign. But I think a lot of people do it out of ignorance. They just get so excited for their candidate. They want to make sure everybody votes.
2: And they and so they say, "Hey, I can't do it. Will you take mine in?" And that's the problem. Yeah,
3: yeah. And I don't think you know, Rod. If you were on your way to the mailbox and you took your wife's ballot with you and you put them both in the mailbox, we're not necessarily talking about that. We're talking about like an organized effort where a political party or political campaign is collecting hundreds or thousands of ballots um, and turning them in for the voters.
2: As we head to the election, do you have any concern right now for mail-in <laughs> voting here in the state? Do you think we'll be we'll be just fine with it this I, year?
3: I, I, I'm happy to say in the state of Utah, I think it's very secure. I think it's important for people to know we don't have a statewide election. We don't have a national election. We have county elections. So we have 29 counties in Utah. We have 29 separate elections. When people talk about, you know, like Russia hacking our elections or China or whatever, there's literally hundreds of counties throughout the state (laughs) or throughout the country, and they're all doing their own elections their own way.
2: Yeah. And, and and I remember talking, I think it was Justin Lee about a year ago, and I asked him, you know, what are states doing to beef up their cybersecurity? And he said, yeah. we're doing all that we can. Do you think the state has done that?
3: I think Utah is very well prepared. I don't want to say nothing. Ne- I don't want to say never, you know, could anything yeah, happen, yeah, but yeah. I think we've had secure mail and voting and I think that will continue this year.
2: All right. Todd always great chatting with you. Thank you for your time this Thanks. afternoon. Thanks right. All right. State All Senator right. Todd Weiler on our newsmaker line talking about ballot harvesting and the state moving to uh, put even more protection make sure there aren't, you know, a missing word or something in the legislation to make sure that mail-in valid. And as Todd just said, there are a handful of states, I think we're one of six, where we have done uh, mail-in voting uh, in this state for quite some time. I think I've done it once. I don't know about you. I think I did it once. I got behind on something and uh, I couldn't do it. But for the most part, uh, I like to actually go in and vote in person. As a matter of fact, just see here. I had a story on that today. I wanted to grab this out of the stack here. Let's see. Yeah, most voters today, as a matter of fact, um, say they are going to cast ballots in person this year. So I think the the interest in the election this year really is at an all-time high. You may get as many as anywhere from 150 to 160 million Americans voting this year because the interest is so darn high. I think the president in some states has very legitimate concerns. Case in point, story out of Georgia today where people were voting twice. They found 1,000 ballots where people had voted twice. I know the president recommended you should do this just to make sure your ballot counts. I don't think he was as serious as the mainstream media made it out to be. But there's a lot of interest this year. So I would encourage you, first of all, make sure you're registered to vote. I don't know if the time has passed yet. I think you're okay to do so still. And then vote. And I would strongly encourage you to go vote in person. I love to vote in person, always have, uh, except for a couple of times where I filled out a ballot and dropped it in person. But I like voting in person, and hopefully you will as well. It looks like most Americans will be casting their ballots in person this year, and I think that is very, very important. All right, more to come on this Tuesday afternoon edition of the Rod Catch Show right here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know.
1: Paid non-attorney spoilers.
0: Put me on a highway to interstate,
4: a dirt road to any place, long as I'm long gone.
1: Chasing down some blue sky in my old truck, to the world out, turn the radio, sing along to
0: my freedom song.
5: The Rod Arquette Show on Talk
2: Radio 1059, KNRS. All right, welcome back. The Radar Ketchup with you on this uh, Tuesday, already to the 8th day of September, eight weeks away from the election, believe it or not. Uh, boy, I've been watching some of the videos that people are tweeting out or on some postings, Facebook postings, of uh, many of these humongous trees that are coming down as a result of that uh, windstorm we had overnight. There was one, I can't remember where it was, but a car, an SUV, bar- barely escaped a tree falling on it as it was driving down a uh, neighborhood street. I don't know if it's here in Salt Lake or where it was, but, uh, boy, folks, be careful. As public space, fee officials are advising us. If you do not have to go out tonight, do not go out. Let them uh, work. Let the power crews get the lines back up as best they can, even though the wind is coming back tonight, and you will be a lot safer. Well, speaking of public safety, the uh, controversy over Pat Bagley's cartoon in the uh, Salt Lake Tribune is not letting up. As a matter of fact, The uh, head of public safety here in the state of Utah, Jess Anderson, has joined a number of various law enforcement agencies in writing a letter to the Salt Lake Tribune condemning the Pat Bagley cartoon. The uh, cartoon, of course, if you aren't aware of it, basically the punchline was that the uh, KKK and groups like the KKK have infiltrated police departments around the country, and a lot of law enforcement officials took a lot of offense to that, including Jess Anderson, who's joining us on our newsmaker line right now. He's the Commissioner of Public Safety. Jess, great to have you back on the show. Um, law enforcement puts up with a lot of crap every day. Uh, Jess, why, why did this political cartoon, in your opinion, touch such a nerve?
6: Well, it's just, uh, you know, quite honestly, it's just an opportunity now to be able to say, listen, this is a noble profession. It really is, and what our officers are doing out there every single day, uh, by far, the, the good outweigh the bad, and what it is that uh, they're representing and what they're trying to do as society as a whole is really good, and it's a noble a noble cause. This, So to see something that was so disparate, something that was just completely was absurd in the fact of representing that law enforcement belonged to such a such a uh, culture and a cause of kKK the Ku Klux Klan was it was very offensive, and so that 's what uh, you know as I looked at that and, and uh, i there's a lot that takes uh, there's a lot it takes a lot for me to get offended, and this was one that uh, very much uh, I even took offense to in, in the fact of saying, "No, you know what this is completely inappropriate. we do not represent such." biasness or racism deep within the cultures of law enforcement and therefore it's time that we say something and 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 fix that narrative because it's uh uh by and large as a whole the law enforcement is a good noble profession
2: just from a a law enforcement perspective um you know the you know occasionally we will hear or see or read about a law enforcement officer who has done something really good, really amazing. And we've had examples of that over the years here in Utah. But when law enforcement does something bad, of course, it gets a lot more publicity. Do police officers expect that to happen? They probably wish it wouldn't, but do they expect that to happen?
7: Uh,
6: you know, it's, that's the one thing about a, about a police officer, at least that I have found, is these are men and women who every day get up put on their uniform, uh, take upon them those, that oath, remind themselves of what it is that they've sworn to do to protect, to be able to, to help people, to serve in a manner, in a way that really just is not to get recognition. And so you're right. You know, we have so many stories of the actions, the good actions of what officers have done, of helping people in dire need or even just sometimes just just regular need. Um, but from uh paying for for rooms to mm-hmm. stay for the night, mm-hmm. paying for new tires to put on a car to paying for vehicle fixing vehicles to get people from point A to point B, those are the things that never they they never or rarely are heard about or seen and so uh and that's the way the officers really want it. They don't want the attention they don't draw to do it for the to draw attention to themselves. And so for one now uh, bad action that is uh, much uh, fewer and far between than the good actions, but then for that bad action to really be the spotlight and and try to cast judgment upon the actions of all law enforcement, yeah, it, it's wearing on, uh, on the police officer. It's wearing on the profession. And so they're saying, listen, we do so much good out there that is never recognized. How come you focus on the one bad action and, 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 and that we say that in the fact that well, we understand mm-hmm. that uh, nobody wants the bad actions, and nobody wants that kind of criticism or ridicule based upon on uh, the facts of uh, one one bad officer, and right. so mm-hmm. uh, we try to do a, a good job of policing our own of being able to hold those accountable that are within the agencies to be able to say listen that's not appropriate and and uh, nor are we going to uh, nor are we going to put up
2: with it." In so, this letter, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah I'm sorry, so, go ahead.
6: Oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, so in the fact that having one bad action uh, define us, it's it's uh, a bit unfortunate, and it's really unfair.
2: You acknowledge in the uh, letter that uh, you signed, uh, as I mentioned, along with others, the importance of free speech, but doesn't free speech come with some responsibility? And Is that where Pat Bagley may have gone a little too far, do you feel?
6: Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Uh, listen, you know, and especially coming from a from a platform of media right we 're in a, such a volatile state of of the nation and uh, as well as our state of of having uh, a, a really this this opportunity to bring the community together to build each other up to to unify uh, sides on this, and yet um, really what was the, the characterization of this entire uh, political or otherwise cartoon, was really a wedge, driving a wedge between the entire system, both criminal justice system and the social justice system. And so that does not help. And so you are you are correct. There is, listen, we protect, as a police, we've been protecting free speech rights since uh, really forever, but in this last go-round, May 30th, uh, in which we as the police have been the ones that have their, uh, people are complaining about and yelling and screaming at, but guess what? We have to sit there and take it. And we, we protect their rights just as much as anybody else's rights. Um, and so we understand protecting freedom of speech. But however, really what I'm saying in that letter is also, as we join together with the other, those that co-signed it with me, is the fact is, is if you're in a, in a, uh, a state of a platform of being able to say uh, and have a have a voice out there uh, and if it is in the media, why not work together and why not help bridge a gap and and bridge this divide rather than continue to drive a wedge between it and and make it
2: Final question for you, Jess. The uh, Tribune, of course, editorialized on Sunday about this, and they did admit, I think they said, uh, we at the Tribune regret the inference. I think they're referring that, you know, the KKK is a part of the police and that we'll take responsibility for it. Is that enough?
6: Well, you know, and I missed that, and so I I appreciate you bringing it up. Um, You know, it's the fact that they have recognized it. I've seen, though, that too, that they've, they've defended their position and saying, hey, it's just mischaracterized and you're not understanding the true intentions. Um, And listen, I didn't didn't call for an apology. I knew that there would be no apology or otherwise apology needed. The fact is is that they are very uh, solid and they have made it known where they stand on the issue and and being defensive about it. Uh, But it is nice to recognize that if, in fact, they have gone too far, uh, it doesn't help the messaging of what we're trying to accomplish in society. We will this will by far be a placeholder in the history of this state, based upon how we respond as a community to this this very these very calls uh, clarion calls out there for justice and for reform. And if we don't stand together, and if we don't unite together, and, and be able to have great discussions and dialogue, um, then then we're going to be in trouble. But that's what we're doing as an, as the police. That's what we're doing as Department of Public Safety. We've got the chiefs, the sheriffs, we've got uh, prosecutors, we've got courts, we've got everybody sitting around the table now with advocacy groups, with legislators, with with uh, policymakers of, of all sorts. And um, we're having these creative and very... Effective dialogue and discussions.
2: On our newsmaker line, that is uh, Jeff Sanderson. He is the uh, Commissioner of Public Safety here in the state of Utah with his reaction to the very controversial political cartoon in the Salt Lake Tribune last week by Pat Bagley. All right, more coming up on the Radar Arquette show in Utah's Talk Radio, 1059 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. Let's get news update again. Here's Abby.
1: Thanks.
2: All right, welcome back to the Radar Catch show. Great to be with you on this Tuesday, day after Labor Day, eight weeks away from the election. Going to be interesting, isn't it? A lot to get to. um... You know, we're on t- in the five o'clock hour. Um, Kirk Herb street who I think a lot of you know. If you don't, he's a college football analyst on ESPN. They had a show over the weekend talking about the the rallies, the demonstrations, the role college football and really college athletes can play if they're trying to bring about some change here in America and dealing with the issue of racism, but he made a very interesting comment. I'm going to let you hear that comment coming up in the five o'clock hour and then, uh, and then talk about it because I think he made a very interesting point. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've had the rallies, you've had the, uh, uh, you've had the protest, you've had rioting, um, uh, you've had athletes involved in a lot of this, but now where does it go? That's the key question. And he talks about that, and that's coming up in the uh, 5 o'clock hour. However, right now, time for entertainment news. Hollywood!
1: Oh, Hollywood.
2: Major Hollywood
1: news. Hollywood
2: All right, check in with AJ from 97.1 ZHC, brought to you yep. by Bio 35. Find it at your local pharmacy. How are you, AJ? Big news out of the uh, uh, Kardashians today.
8: Well, and before we get to that, okay. Before we get to that, you mentioned Dave? Kirk Herbstreit. Yes. You know, Kirk Herbstreit today officially went on record saying that he thinks BYU Football will be good enough to be in the national championship conversation.
2: Man, would they play you know, okay. Uh, no comment. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, are we even going to have? I, think, I mean, how can you have a national conference cha- or championship when two of the biggest conferences aren't even going to play?
8: Well, Big Ten so, and Pac twelve start in November pac twelve might start in November. Now they're talking about those daily COVID tests, uh, allowing con- them yeah, I to be able to uh, practice. I'm not convinced. So I'm, not convinced. I'm not convinced either. But it would be the year BYU would be really good. I had a friend <laughs> tell me that the other day. He's like, "This this would be the year we're good, but nobody cares." Um, ah, 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 ah. So yeah, out of the Kardashians, Gone. they have announced Gone. Gone. that they are gonna go bye 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 bye. And the world rejoices. And you thought 2020 <laughs> was just one long bad news story after another. 14 years, think about that. I That's didn't how long realize they've that. been on the wow, show. 14 they years. They have brought people to their, you know, lowest uh. points in their life. <laughs> people have fallen apart on the show. Uh. And uh, yeah, so 2021 will be it for the Kardashians. Okay, so. good, yeah. good, I don't good. I can see, I can see somehow. All of them ending up doing more reality TV. I don't know about you, but I'm just a somewhere along that kind of guy. When it comes, it's going
2: to happen. (laughs) It's going to happen. I'm with you. (laughs) I'm with you.
8: Uh, Let's see what else is going on. You've got this cool story about John Legend, who currently holds the People's Sexiest Man Alive title. Wow! Who does he think is the next Sexiest Man Alive? They always have to ask, and, you know, Uh, he goes on Twitter and makes uh, a comment, and he said, uh, Jason Momoa is his pick for the people's sexiest man alive coming up. That wouldn't make sense. Uh, Megan and Harry officially financially
2: independent. Yep, Done.
8: They are no longer connected financially at all to the royal family of Britain.
2: What they wanted, so, what they wanted, right? They wanted that. What, they, what yeah. they
8: wanted, but now, I mean, now that means they're like legitimately having to make their. own. Not that they probably can't go back later and be like, "Listen, we made a really bad really
2: mistake. We shouldn't have gone. Yeah. We're sorry. We shouldn't have done this." Sorry. <laughs> but I, yeah.
8: I tend to think that's not going to happen. Yeah. Also, uh, Christopher Nolan's new movie raked in twenty million over the weekend. Wow. Hey, guys. There Are
2: people going back to the theaters? Sam Mulan, loved it. Really thought it was well oh, yeah. done. Yeah. Saw it over the weekend. Yeah, thought cool. it was good. Talk to you nice. tomorrow. See ya. Hey there, home. Now, that's just a, another example of uh, believing in women's intuition. You know, Abby just had that newscast or that uh, story in her newscast a moment ago about this uh, young couple, and uh, the man's wife woke up at about, what at 4 o'clock this morning, I think the story said, and uh, told her husband, I kind of got a bad feeling about things going on right now with all this wind blowing, and um, I think we need to, you know, their bedroom is upstairs, two-story home, obviously, and I think we need to uh, move downstairs to uh, make sure we're A-OK, and they did, and lo and behold, that wind started blowing, and I guess this humongous tree, which I guess Abby said dwarfed the house, uh, came down right in the bedroom where they were sleeping. So I've, I, you know, I've always, my, my wife, I think women generally have just this—you can call it women's intuition. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But I think sometimes they just get these feelings and guys Sometimes. You need to pay attention to him, And I think this man and his wife are glad they listened to what she had to say today and are okay because of these uh, wild, wild windstorms that are expected to uh, return tonight. How are you, everybody? Welcome back. Hour number two of the Radar Catch Show with you on this uh, Tuesday after the Labor Day weekend. Great to be back with you this afternoon still. We've got a lot to come. Two weeks away from the election. We're going to be talking about that in the coming hour. We'll talk about Sweden. Has anybody heard anything of Sweden lately? As a result of COVID-19, they did a very limited lockdown. Remember, the world was all over Sweden. How dare you do this? You've got to do what we're doing. And Sweden said, no, we're going to take a different approach. We're going to focus on a few things and deal with it. Well, guess what? The death rate in Sweden has dropped like you wouldn't believe from COVID-19. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We'll talk about an amendment that will be on the ballot eight weeks from today that you probably know nothing about, but you should and we'll explain why. It deals with water. That's all we'll say, and we'll explain that coming up in the 6 o'clock hour as well. All right. I saw this over the weekend. College football got underway. Uh, what was that? I think there was a game Thursday or Friday night. BYU got a chance to play last night. Just beat the you-know-what out, uh, out of Navy. Uh, I think they have a bye, and then they're at home, or they play Army here in a couple of weeks. Uh, the U, uh, Weber State, Utah State won't be playing any football this year as far as we know it. Uh, But other conferences, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are done, so they say, but the uh, Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, and a number of other conferences are going to be playing this year. Uh, Over the weekend, uh, ESPN decided to uh, talk about what's going on in America today and the role college athletes uh, can play in, uh, in talking about racism, talking about social injustice, and talking about change. Um, I want to play for you this uh, soundbite with Kirk Herbstreit. I think I've got it up on the screen in there, E-Ray, if you'll take a look at it. Kirk Herbstreit, who is one of the college football analysts, former quarterback, I think, at Ohio State. And I like him. I think he, 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 he's an interesting guy. He does pretty good analysis. And I, and I think in many ways, he's been spot on talking about what's going on in college sports today. They spent some time talking about the role college athletes play today. He said, you know, They've held rallies. They've marched. Uh, In some cases, they didn't go to practice as a protest, just like the NBA and NHL and Major League Baseball did. No telling what the NFL will do. It kicks off on Thursday. But Kurt then asked a very important question. Now that that is all over, you know, and people have had their statement, what's next? Listen to what he had to say.
9: I was talking to David Shaw, the head coach at Stanford, uh, who, who really, he and I had a great talk. I love listening to, to his wisdom and his thoughts. And he shared a, a, a quote uh, to me and reminded me from Benjamin Franklin. He said, justice will be served, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. And I think that, that's what I mean when I think I, our, the, the black community is hurting. If you've listened, and, and the, the word empathy and compassion over these last four months, how do you listen to these stories and not feel pain and, and not, not want to help? You know what I mean? It's like wearing a hoodie and uh, putting, your, putting your, your hands at 10 and 2. Oh, God, I better look out because I'm, I'm, I'm wearing Nike gear. Like, what? What are we talking about? And so you can't relate to that if you're white, but you can listen, and you can uh, try to help.:
2: All right, Herb Street became very emotional on that. Uh, and he he said something interesting. I think the Benjamin Franklin quote was very good. Those who are unaffected.
1: Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Revoid. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, if they don't
2: feel the outrage, nothing is going to change. Now think of this. We have had what nearly three consecutive months now of nearly daily episodes of violence, vandalism, and harassment in American streets. And still, in my opinion, I don't think the left has any idea how to talk about solving the issue in this country. And I don't know if they want to right now. They may say they do, but I'm not sure if they want to. Now, you know, he mentioned, you know, change will only happen, and this was a quote from Benjamin Franklin, if the unaffected are outraged. Uh, and I think he's talking about a lot of white Americans. If you want to be honest, Benjamin Franklin didn't have that in mind, but you could interpret it to be that way. And until white America is outraged by what many of the black people in America are seeing today, I don't know if there's going to be significant change coming. Okay, uh, let me uh, and, and and I want to open up the phones and get your reaction to what Herb Street had to say and what I think. Uh, needs to take place in this country today. I think the unaffected were outraged by what happened to George Floyd on Memorial Day in Minneapolis. I think we were all outraged. We looked at that and said, what on earth is that police officer doing to that man? Now, a lot more details have come out since then. As a matter of fact, there's a story out there now that in its training of police officers there in Minneapolis... Officers are told to put a knee on the neck, okay? That's another part of the story. But I think there was a collective outrage in this country the day that happened and a day after that happened. And we all said, something is wrong here. We need to change it. We need to look at what's going on and see if, in fact, we need to bring about change. It was, what, a day or two later where the rioting started where the looting started, where the burning of buildings started, where the attacks on police started. And I think that's when a lot of people said, wait a minute, you know, you want us to fix all this, but you have got to stop this. And I don't think it has stopped. So my question is to you tonight, as we think more and more about this, and we talk about this tonight, you know, how do people who are unaffected by what black Americans see today, you know, the the talk that uh, black American parents have with their children, their boys, their sons, saying if you're out at night and a police officer stops you, make sure you're respectful. You know, put your hands at 10 and 2 on the steering, steering wheel so they can see it. I don't know how many white parents or even Hispanic parents have had that happen. But I think if more white parents had that happen... There would be outrage in this country. Same with Hispanic. Now, maybe it happens a little bit more in the Hispanic community, but we don't hear about it as much. But how are we going? My question to you tonight is, you know, we've had the rallies. We've had the protest, We still have the violence. I don't think that's serving the communities, the black community in this country any good. Where are the black leaders? Where is Obama? Where is Ob- Biden? I mean, really taking a strong stand on this looking into the camera and say, stop this right now. But I think they're adding to it. I think the American people look at this and say, look, we're ready to have a discussion. We're ready to have, you know, to listen to what you have to say, but damn it, quit burning down the building down the street or taking the office out down the street. You stop that, then I can have that conversation. So my question would be, is realistic change going to take place in this country? If the unaffected are not outraged by this, I go back to uh, Minneapolis, Memorial Day weekend. We saw what happened to George Floyd. There was a collective outrage. We were ready to have a conversation about this, but we didn't. Why? Because all of a sudden, we've got violence taking place. We've got rioting taking place. Businesses being destroyed. Looting taking place. And I think the American people are now looking at that and saying, okay, you want us to deal with this? Well, why don't you deal with this? And there was a terrific article uh, in the uh, in townhall.com. I highly recommend, if you if you like to read some great articles by great, great columnists there, I would check that out each and every day. But Dennis Prager, and many of you know Dennis, frequent guest. We've had Dennis on this show before. He's a guest of Glenn, has his own radio show. Made a very interesting point. He says, until people are willing to look inward... As the scriptures say, and he quotes a, uh, a verse from Genesis about this, and basically says, the will of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Until we are willing to look within ourselves and change things, real change will not take place. So those of you who, you know, those on the left are telling black Americans, this is not your fault. You need to blame it on somebody else. Decent people. And I'm not saying black people are not decent, because there are a lot of decent black people. But fair-minded, common-sense Americans, first of all, look to themselves and go, okay, what am I doing wrong here? And then try and improve it. That's what this is all about. So how are we, if we aren't outraged, how are we going to bring about change? And if the black community is not willing to look inwardly, how are we going to work together and bring about change? 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010. On your cell phone, I want you to dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, your calls, your comments coming up on the Tuesday afternoon edition of the Rod Arkenjo." Let's get news update right now. Here's Abby.
1: Thanks, Rod Sully.
2: All right, welcome back to the uh, Rod you. Lines are open to you now, 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010. And on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. Now, what we're talking about, if you're just joining us, uh, college football analyst Kurt Herbstreit made a uh, interesting comment over the weekend as they talked about, you know, college athletes and what is going on in the country today, the issue of racism, social injustice, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Herbie made the comment, I think, where he basically said, Look, um, you know, the rallies, the, you know, uh, you know Lou Sabin, uh, or not am I thinking of? Um, Nick Sabin. Yeah, thank you. Nick Sabin, um, you know, marching with his players down the streets uh, at the University of Alabama to show their support for change. Uh, you know, some players not practicing for one day following the lead of the NHL and NBA and Major League Baseball. He said, That's all done and good. Okay, fine, great. But what is next? And um, he had a quote from Ben Franklin who said, until the unaffected are outraged, change may not come. And I have never been impacted by racism. And I think a lot of Americans are going, "Wait, well, what's going on here? I hear, hear these black people talking about this all the time, but they don't see it. So, And he said, until those who are unaffected feel it a bit of that outrage, either through listening or experiencing themselves, nothing will change here. I want to get your reaction to that. 888-570-8010. On your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, let's go to the phones and talk with Steve here in Salt Lake City. Steve, thanks for joining us tonight.
10: Sure, Rod, thanks for taking my call. Um, I I think that what you're asking is, why aren't we outraged by the rioting and looting that took place after George Floyd, and where are the leaders on the left? You mentioned Obama and Biden. Why aren't they saying something about the rioting and looting? Did I understand your question correctly?
2: Well, what what I'm saying is I think um, our outrage over what has gone on is being directed more at the rioting and the protesters than what it should be directed at the real issues involved in all this. See what I'm saying? I, I, I think... Steve, we came together with outrage when we saw what happened to George Floyd. We didn't have a complete understanding of it. But we said, wait a minute, something's wrong there. But that has now been overtaken by this constant rioting and protesting and violence that we see taking place in our cities. And I'm saying, are we, as white Americans say, until you address this issue and stop this, we aren't going to talk about the other thing right now? And And that's the question I'm kind of posing.
10: Okay, well, if if you're asking any citizen of the country who is a a taxpaying, law-abiding citizen uh, citizen, to talk down the the looters and the rioters, I don't think that we're going to be able to do that because I believe, and I think most people who feel the way I do, is that the rioters and looters are in fact criminals and not social justice activists. The protesters are, and I, I think you need to differentiate them from from criminals and the anarchists. So when you ask Obama to, to address a group of criminals and say, stop committing criminal acts, <laughs> that's, that's not going to work. When you ask Joe Biden to do the same thing, that's not going to work. When you ask anybody, any once again, law-abiding, tax-paying citizen to tell criminals to stop their criminal activities without it that ain't going to work all right
11: Nothing's well what's going to come
10: of
2: that you know, you make a very good comment then how do we address that then steve how do we get after okay, those criminals okay, sure. well at the same time saying hey social justice warriors peaceful protesters let's sit and talk but how do we address the criminals because you're right i think the criminals are pushing a lot of what we're seeing on television right now each and every night in some of our major cities so how do we separate the two
10: yeah, that, well, I, I think that's a valid question. But I, I think that the point that is being missed here, Rod, is that some of us still feel that although we had a collective outrage after George Floyd, that still we're not seeing the, the problems of systemic racism in our law enforcement agencies being addressed. And, and that's the root of the problem. and And I think that's exemplified by the public safety commissioner that you had on earlier, who's outraged, by the Pat Bagley cartoon. And what the Pat Bagley cartoon was saying, this system of racism is still inherent in our law enforcement agencies. And I think there's a lot of evidence for that. So consequently, I'm standing by Pat Bagley with that cartoon. And I I disagree with you and the Public Safety Commissioner in that regard.
2: All right, Steve, thank you. That's what you're allowed to do on this show is we let you air your opinions. Let's go to uh, Joey, who's on I-15 tonight, and let him weigh in on this discussion. Go ahead, Joey. Thanks for joining us.
10: Hey, Rob. Thanks for taking my call.
2: You're welcome. Your thoughts?
10: So, you know, racism can't be resolved until both sides of the offenders are equal. I mean, right now, you have All the African-American benefits like
11: African-Americans,
10: colleges,
11: grants,
10: all, you know, all that kind of stuff for for the black community. But if the white community has that, then the white community is considered racist for having that, you know, so until Mm -hmm. until everything's equal on equal parties, you know, there's always going to be that offensive from either side.
2: So I want to make sure I understand what you're saying here, Joey. So you're saying that white people, uh, some white people, not all white people, but white Americans, are offended that we have black colleges and we have, you know, the, uh, you know, black entertainment, television, whatever you want to call it. And if we had anything like white colleges and white entertainment, we would be shot down. And you're saying there are some people feel that, it, you know, if you want to be on equal footing, let's just make everything equal. Am I reading that right, Joey, or have exactly. I got it wrong?
10: No, yes, sir. You got that perfectly right. I mean, we got to be on equal ground to to be systematic.
2: Okay. I, I see where you're going with it. All right, let's go to Gene uh, in Salt Lake City and let Gene weigh in on this tonight. Gene, how are you? Welcome to the show.
12: Hi. I w- was listening to Candace Owens, and she said the problem with what is taking place right now is the focus is on the wrong issue. And she's made the point that the focus needs to be on providing mental illness services for uh, those that need them and housing and drug addiction address drug addiction and address uh, single parent homes and those kind of things rather than uh, the whole channel be on, the focus being on uh, police police yeah police or uh paying back for mm-hmm. something that was done during the slavery time frame and so she feels it's a distraction from the issues that really need to be addressed to help uh the black people
2: yeah well you may you make a good point gene i th- i think a lot of people are uh, and i've said this on the show before and uh, a lot of people feel okay we can have a discussion here about police reform, but that's not the answer. That won't solve everything. We also need to have a discussion, as Gene brought up, about the housing crisis for black Americans, the education crisis for black Americans, the black crime, you know, uh, uh, black-on-black crime in that community. And if you want to, you know, I think what we're looking for is let's have a balanced discussion on all of this. And if we have to treat police reform, let's do it. Uh, and let's bring up some of the issues that are brought up, but also let's have discussions on the other issues that Gene raised and I just raised. All right, more of your calls and comments coming up. 888 8010 888 8010 On your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, we'll get to more of your calls coming up on the Rod Arquette Show.
4: From a. An- One-
2: The Rod Arquette Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. All right, coming up at the uh, top of the hour, we'll talk about the election eight weeks away today. Donald Trump campaigning right now. He's out. He's in uh, North Carolina. No sign of uh, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris so far today. I thought the race is on. Where are those guys? We'll talk about that in the uh, 6 o'clock hour as well, coming up on the Rod Arquette Show. Now, if you're just joining us, um, there was quite a discussion over the weekend on ESPN. I caught a portion of this, and um, the, uh, they were analyzing college athletics. They didn't have a college game day show because college football is really on a uh, a limited play schedule right now. But Kirk Herbstreet, who is one of the college analysts, who I, think, I like him, I think he's pretty good at what he does, uh, made this comment. He was talking about athletes, college athletes right now, and the rallies they've held, the protests they've held, but he raised a very, very interesting question. He says, okay, what's next? Where do we take it to that next level? Here is Kurt Herbstreet in his comment. Ray, if you would have this, his comment that he made on college game day over the weekend. Here's Herbstreet. And we'll get to that bite here in just a second with Kurt Herbstreet, but basically here it is now. Here's Kurt Herbstreet and his comment on ESPN this weekend.
9: I was talking to David Shaw, the head coach at Stanford, uh, who, who really, he and I had a great talk. I love listening to, to his wisdom and his thoughts, and he shared a a, a quote uh, to me and reminded me from Benjamin Franklin. He said, justice will be served, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. And I think that that's what I mean when I think our, the, the black community is hurting. If you've listened and, and the, the word empathy and compassion over these last four months, how do you listen to these stories and not feel pain and, and not, not want to help, you know what I mean? It's like wearing a hoodie and uh, putting your, putting your, your hands at 10 and two. Oh, God, I better look out because I'm, I'm, I'm wearing Nike gear. Like, what? What are we talking about? And so you can't relate to that if you're white, but you can listen and you can uh, try to help.
2: Is listening enough? And if we're trying to help, what kind of help needs to take place? 888-570-8010 on your cell phone. Dial pound 215 say, hey, Rod. Back to the phones we go. Ron has been waiting very patiently on I-15 tonight. Ron, thanks for joining us. What are your thoughts on this, Ron?
4: Hey, Rod. Yeah, I appreciate you taking my call. You know, my, I think my thoughts are similar to the last caller in that I, I agree with a lot of things that uh, that, that sportscaster said. Um, and I'm, I am being wide, I, I can't really relate to it either. But I believe we need to be careful because... And jumping to conclusions real quickly, I think instead of helping the problem, we could actually exacerbate the problem, which I think is kind of what we're doing when we start defunding the police. You know, you talk to some of these inner city people that are seeing what's happening with the explosion in crime in their neighborhoods, and they're begging for the police to come back.
2: Yeah,
4: yeah. Um, so, so when we listen to these exceptional situations like George Floyd, I, I like the statement that the exception proves the rule. I think that's an exception. I think, by and large, the police do an incredible job um, protect, keeping us safe. And if we let the opportunists like the Al Sharpens of the world blow these exceptional situations way out of proportion, then, like I said, I think we can end up um, doing more damage than good.
2: Boy, I, I think you're spot on, Ron. That's why we need to be able to have a discussion here, but make sure the pendulum doesn't swing too far in the direction that none of us want it to go in let's go to mike and sandy Hear what mike has to say hi mike
7: hello rod thank you for taking my call you're welcome mike my, my situation is, is i feel we were born we were all born free the slaves were, were freed and then now they're free but what happens is they have not released the fact that they're not free they still think they're under i mean that
0: they're they're, they're
1: More than once, actually. Do
0: I have to say? Yes, you do.
1: In the car before my kid's
0: PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
7: Hurting, apparently. But the problem of it is, is they, they, can, they can break through okay and and get i mean look at the doctor who's the brain surgeon look at uh the president obama look at i mean they they can get there if they if they choose to but i i feel like they they come back under the situation of i'm i'm black so i should have special uh, you know i uh, i'm being uh
2: will you call yeah. it well well let me let me ask you this mike where you're thinking about that who is telling them that they aren't free is it the politicians those on the left the democratic party
7: the the law the law says they're free
2: yeah but who is okay. telling who but, is telling them that they aren't free yet
7: i don't know themselves oh, okay you know they're, they're they're getting this feeling that and i don't know why but the problem of it is, is we as whites, or we as or whatever we are, okay, we all run into situations, especially when you run into a police. The first thing you need to understand is respect.
2: Yeah, You yeah. get
7: what you give.
2: Yeah, that's true. All right, Mike, thank you. Let's go to Mapleton. And hear what Clyde has to say on this tonight. Clyde, how are you? Thanks for waiting for us.
11: I'm hmm. uh, doing fine, Rob. Sure, I've enjoyed the show. Thank you, thank you. What are your uh, thoughts on this, what Clyde? A little different, slant. Well, I'm from Louisiana, and uh, I grew up around blacks, but I never associated with them until I started flying crop dusters. And I was always in areas where there were a lot of blacks, and uh, I noticed that what I call government subsidized slavery, as soon as the cotton went in, the kids would get out of school, and they would never, ever have an education. So... As I was in that situation, I got to know a lot of the blacks and got to be good friends with them. I noticed that if you were friendly, if you showed them respect, they did the same thing back. And uh, if you ever needed any help, they were the first ones there to help you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the government programs we have are just a waste because you look at the housing developments all over the place, that are just wrecked. But uh, the, the problem with them, I see. It is they have such low expectations that they, if they can just get a menial job somewhere and have a little money coming in, that's they think they're successful. But uh, I think if we can just befriend people, no matter what color they are, if we can be friends with them, show them respect, they will try to uh, do better.
2: Yeah, and listen to them is the key. Listening to them as well, Clyde is the key. Listening to them as well.
11: Uh, uh, uh. You have to listen to them. You have to understand their plight. Uh, I got a moment when I was in the Navy in Pensacola on an aircraft carrier. We, uh, I lived right outside the base. I go home right in the afternoon and shower there. I see these black in our compartment. was showering before they left. I said, why don't y'all shower at home? He said, well, we can't find a house here that has a bathroom inside.
2: Mm.
11: And that really struck home with me because I never never thought about it because that wasn't you know, I didn't associate yep. it. With much, but yeah. To this day we have m- many good black friends down there and when one happens to show up in Mapleton to the church, I'm one of the first ones over there to shake their hand and welcome them in there.
2: Good for you, Clyde. Good for you. Thank you for your thoughts and sharing some of your experiences with us. All right, more of your calls coming up. 888 888 On your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. Let's get you news update again. Here's Abby. All right, welcome back to the Rotter Show on this Tuesday. We'll talk about the election with Ned Runyon. He uh, wrote a uh, great article in American Greatness today about the game is on for 2020. We'll talk about the election coming up, but I want to go back to the phones. Final few minutes of this segment. Darlene is in Morgan and has been waiting patiently for a chance to get on the show tonight and talk about this whole idea of uh, those who are unaffected until they are outraged by what we're seeing in this country nothing may change. Darlene, thanks for joining us. What are your thoughts?
13: Well, thank you for having me. Well, my my opinion it it really doesn't affect me, so I I you know, my opinion doesn't count, but an outsider looking in at all the all the things that are going on and all the disrespect for people's property, for the policemen for themselves and and their fellow uh, protesters, we have lost respect. And the respect, if we don't have it for one another, we will never heal. And maybe the respect, besides coming from the parents to teach their children to respect other people, no matter what their color, but maybe in the schools we need to bring that back to where uh, the teachers are teaching our children respect so that it can be brought up. And when they become adults, it's a normal thing to respect one another. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we've really lost um, so much respect for one another and for the policeman. It, it's it's really sad. And when we lose respect for someone that's trying to help us, because when the police officers goes to stop someone for speeding or whatever, he does not know that person. He doesn't know if they're on drugs. He doesn't know if they have a, a weapon. They don't he doesn't know what they're thinking about him. He has to protect himself and he has a split second decision to either protect mm-hmm, himself mm-hmm, or protect mm-hmm. the neighborhood or whatever. Darlene, before and we so leave, I these I've, situations I've... will continue as long as people
2: Let me ask you real quick, okay, Darling, because okay. I've just I've just got about uh, maybe a minute max here. What if black Americans feel they aren't getting respect from police? You know, you talk about respect, and I totally agree with you on a lot of this. But what are there well, black people saying? Come on, man. How about respecting us as human beings?
13: It, it has to come from the police officers as well as the public. It has to be both. If, yeah. if we don't do it as a nation, if we lose respect for one another, we don't have a, a nation anymore. We are going to divide, and we will fall if we're divided.
2: That's right, Jarlene. You make a very, very good point, and a lot of this comes down to respect. I know there are are black Americans who feel they are getting no respect from the country in general, Uh, and they feel, well, I guess since 1619 and that project that America was founded on this idea of using slavery to better Richmond. We know that's not the case, but that's what they feel, and until... We can convince them otherwise. I don't know if you'll ever be able to do that. But until you're able to do that or have them understand that, we're going to have challenges in this country. All right. Game on, 2020. We'll talk with Ned Ryan coming up about that next right here on the Radar Catcher. Stay with us.
9: If you've recently...
2: We're live, we're local, and, of course, we're everywhere with you on the iHeartRadio app. How are you, everybody? Welcome back to the Radar Catch Show, our number three on this Tuesday, the 8th day of September. Another great, I don't want to say great, another powerful, I should say, windstorm, apparently, for a lot of people tonight. Uh, As Abby was doing her newscast, this came across that Salt Lake City Schools. will remain closed tomorrow, uh, and she'll have more information on that coming up. Uh, in her uh, news update and at the bottom of the hour. All right, a lot to get to today. Uh, Donald Trump just wrapping up a big, big rally. Some An estimated 15,000 people there at a rally in North Carolina. He is out. The game is on for the 2020 election. Normally, Labor Day is the start. Joe Biden... And Kamala Harris, nowhere to be found today. But President Trump is out and about. Polls are showing a tightening in a number of states. As a matter of fact, he has taken the lead in Texas. Florida, he has now taken the lead. Miami-Dade County is where a lot of people focus their attention. If a Democrat wins that county, which is heavily Democratic, if they win that county overwhelmingly, it gives them a good chance to win the state. Hillary Clinton did that. Not quite enough. Joe Biden, nowhere near the support that Hillary Clinton got in Florida and in Miami-Dade County in 2016. So it's going to be interesting to see. Joining us on our newsmaker line right now is Ned Ryan. Ned is the founder and CEO of American Majority, also writes for American Greatness. Wrote about Game Time 2020, and Ned is joining us on our newsmaker line right now. Ned Ryan, all right, we are eight weeks away. Give us your assessment right now of the 2020 race. Well,
5: you know, the, the, the point I made in my piece today at American Greatness is all everything that happened before the convention was sound and fury, right? It mm-hmm. nothing. Now we're into the heat of the battle. Now we're past the conventions. We're eight weeks out. This is now where things get serious, polls, models, momentum, all of these things. The media doesn't want you to know this, but there are a lot of models and a lot of indicators that show that Donald Trump is fairly well positioned. And, and I would even add this, I didn't say this in the article, Rod, but despite the fact that he took three major body blows this year, impeachment, uh, coronavirus, and the Floyd uh, riots, he's still in position. I think he actually has a slim lead in some poll position to win in, in November.
2: Ned, let me ask you before I get into the indicators because I, I i I really enjoyed your analysis of some of the models and indicators to look at. I did want to ask you about the upcoming debate. There's a poll out saying most Americans are interested and they think Donald Trump will win. How important are those going to uh, debates going to be this year maybe compared to in past years
5: you know I, obviously they're they're still important, and it's one thing for people to actually who haven't been paying attention, and I think there's fewer people that have not made up their minds this time around. Obviously, there's people with a lot of strong opinions on both sides of the aisle. But, you know, Rod, I was looking at a Rasmussen poll in Pennsylvania among people that have already made up their minds. 82% of people in this poll in Pennsylvania said, we've made up our minds. Trump is winning 51-49. Still means there's upwards of 20% of people in one of the key battleground states, Pennsylvania, that have not made up their minds. And so I tell people the debates are important for those swing voter, undecided voters coming into the last. 30 to 45 days to go, okay, I now get to see both products side by side. And and I have to tell you, I just do not think that Joe Biden is up to the task to do three debates against Donald Trump. And I think uh, I have a hard time believing that Trump won't be able to more than hold his own uh, against a Biden that – politely is uh, diminished in many ways.
2: Yeah, he's lost his step, that's for sure, Ned. All right, now let's take a look at some of these models and economic indicators you wrote about today on American Great Miss. First of all, let's take a look at the S&P 500. Why do, you, right. why do we need to pay attention to that?
4: Well, it's, it's
5: shown over the last nine presidential elections since 1984 it's predicted nine out of nine. It's been a perfect record that over the last three months and for us it'd be starting on August 3rd to November 3rd, if the S&P 500 goes up in those, that three-month period coming into the elections, the incumbent party wins and keeps the White House. If it goes down, the challenger wins. And so I tell people, keeping on the S&P 500, it's been a very accurate predictor of who will win the White House. And obviously the market's been having a tough time, but the S&P 500 is still up over where it was August 3rd.
2: Now, you also talk about the uh, political scientist there at Stony Brook, uh, Helmut Norputh. Why is he so important? Why should we look at him?
5: Well, he's predicted 25 of the last 27 presidential elections, and what he does, and he puts the marker down typically in the spring. So he put his marker down in March of this year after the primary season, and his models are based off primary strength. How, do the, how, do the, how, how did Donald Trump perform in the primaries? How did Joe Biden perform in the primaries? And his models show a very definitive electoral college win for Donald Trump. And he's been right 25 of the last 27 times.
2: And what about uh, trend uh, macrolytics? Why are they so important, and why should we look at them?
5: They have predicted every presidential election correctly <laughs> since 1952. Oh, not I mean, bad.
2: They, <laughs> good record. These are some
5: of the things that, this is why I wanted to write this piece, Rod, where you look at some of these things that have been very accurate over the course of not just a few election cycles, but literally decades. Trend macrolytics has been correct since ni- 1952, and I made the point where Trend Macrolytics has been wrong is in the margin of victory. But they have always predicted the winner correctly, and right now they have Trump winning by a very definitive margin. So it, it's an interesting model to look at, and they've been right since 1952.
2: You have the mainstream media, who is in the pocket of the Democratic Party or vice versa, I'm not sure which, Ned. And they're going to continue to pound away at these national polls, the national polls, the national polls. That's right. You know, do Americans realize it's not the national polls, but it's the individual state polls that matter?
5: Yeah, no, you're right, Rod. I mean, these are, it has to be a battleground poll of not registered voters, but likely voters. And it has to be weighted correctly. And, and I made that point in this piece as well. If you look at, I, I look at Trafalgar and Rasmussen as two of the polls that I trust. And Trafalgar has Trump up by two in Michigan right now. Uh, I mentioned the Rasmussen poll earlier about Pennsylvania. It's, it's a dead heat overall, but among voters that have already made up their minds, Trump's winning by two. So you start to look at some of these polls, and I would encourage people, national polls to me, especially those of registered voters, are barely even worth looking at. Look at the polls of likely voters in battleground states, and shockingly to the media, Trump is doing very well if not in lead already.
2: In your opinion, Ned, as voters get ready to hit the polls uh, here two months from now, What's to the one issue that is most important? To, is it COVID-19? Is it the economy? What is the one issue that they're going to carry into the voting booth with them?
5: Well, it, it, <laughs> that, That's a really good question, because <laughs> I think it almost depends sometimes on some of the states. I think in the upper Rust Belt, you know, it's economy, jobs. Trump was obviously talking about economic self-sufficiency, bringing manufacturing jobs back from China. And I think the thing that's been really interesting, the workers, the working-class Rust Belt uh, voters, realize that Trump is still fighting for them. So I think that's going to be a big issue. I just saw a poll today though, is if coronavirus is a big issue, guess who the public trusts more than the media on the issue? It's Trump. Wow. So I wanna say it's the economy. It's always the economy stupid. It's people's the pocketbook issues. And where were we before all of this took place? It was a roaring, cranking economy. And so I give I give Trump the nod on that and I think it's still going to be a very important issue to the voters.
2: As you look ahead, I'm thinking of an amusement park ride that always tells you to keep your arms and legs inside at all times and make sure your seatbelt is buckled. Is that what we're looking at for the next two months, Ned?
5: I I have told people, I've told people at the White House, I've told people on the campaign, you better prepare. I mean, I think that Atlantic article that came out that was just based on anonymous sources, Mm -hmm, full hit mm -hmm. job based on lies. That times 100 at a minimum over the next 60 days. Strap it on, people. I think we're going to see a wild ride as, as the left, which I mean the media, the Democrats, everybody else. They're starting to realize, dear God, Donald Trump could win. I think you're going to see some crazy tricks. And I even told people at the White House, do not be surprised if they pull out deep fake videos and audio of Trump saying horrible things that are deep fake. But they'll run with them for a little bit just to muddy the waters.
2: I tell you what, thank you, Ned. Ned Ryan joining us. He is the founder and CEO of American Majority, uh, talking about his article in American Greatness today about, you know, the um, uh, game on for 2020. Uh, the issue with that Atlantic article, what a, I tell you what, what a waste of time. You dig into that article, you've got more and more people coming out saying the president never said anything like that. How on earth does a president plan on a big military celebration on July 4th that he had, what, a year ago in the nation's capital? while well, at the same time disparaging the military and calling them a bunch of losers and suckers. I mean, the story, does, it doesn't add up. And the owner of Atlantic, a big Biden supporter, give money to the campaign through various routes. I mean, the American public, if you're willing to take the time and see through this, you'll understand what is going on. And as Ned suggested, more of these hit pieces are coming. There's going to be an October surprise of something. You know it's out there. Either CNN or NBC are just waiting to hit this right before the election. And they did it back with the Access Hollywood tape of a few years ago, back in 2016. So get ready for one other thing I want to add to this before we get a news update from Abby. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, nowhere to be found on the campaign trail today. Kamala Harris went to Milwaukee and visited with uh, Jacob Blake. This is the man who was shot by police there in Kenosha, Wisconsin, seven times. And she came out telling the media she's proud of him. Proud of a man who has been charged and is alleged to have sexually assaulted a woman, not twice, but two or three times over the years, stole her wallet, and stole her car keys. But apparently Kamala Harris is very proud of him, and an American should be as well. All right, more coming up on the Rod Ketchow Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9. KNRS listening, you'll know. Let's get news update now. Here's
1: Abby. Thanks, Rod. More.
2: All right, welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know, great to be with you on this uh, Tuesday. Can you believe it, we're two two months away from the election. By the way, the uh, first presidential debate, which will be moderated by Chris Wallace from Fox News, will be coming up on Tuesday, the 29th of this month, and we'll have live coverage for you right here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know. All right let's talk a little bit about uh, covid nineteen you know from uh, day one, the media has been sowing the panic basically by comparing the coronavirus to the Spanish flu pandemic of nineteen eighteen where an estimated when an estimated six hundred seventy five thousand Americans died, the equivalent of over two point two million in today's population. moreover, the median age of those who died back then was twenty eight which meant that the uh, cumulative years of life lost were enormous. Well, now we've got some new numbers coming in. Apparently, there's been some number crunching going on. And uh, let's hope, as they say, that Florida is nearly done mining their death certificates. Because the median age of deaths in Florida as a result of coronavirus, the median age is 93 years old. Uh, I mean, that is
1: More than once, actually. Do
0: I have to say? Yes, you do.
1: In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes.
0: Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Pretty amazing. and You know, loss of life nobody wants to uh, talk about or laugh at or make fun of. But I think it is an interesting comparison that we need to be able to make. This is why the lockdowns need to be so focused on the elderly and people who work with the elderly and not the rest of us. And that's where one of the mistakes that were made. Now, let's talk about Sweden. For months, Sweden was the punching bag of the world's media and its politicians. People were simply saying, look, media, you know, Sweden is going about around. You got a lockdown. Sweden said, no, we aren't going to do that. And uh, we have seen some amazing numbers coming out of Sweden. Well, joining us on our newsmaker line right now is John Miltimore. He is managing editor of FEE.org. He's been looking into this. John, thanks for joining us tonight. What's the latest from Sweden, John?
14: Yeah, I think when you look back at those predictions, uh, you know, Sweden was, was under a lot of heat. They didn't lock down like all the other nations, um, and they received a lot of criticism for it. They, they struggled early on with the virus. It, it got into some elder care homes. Um and you know, but Sweden always maintained from the beginning that they were taking a long term approach um, and as things developed, you know Sweden has you know outperformed the predictions by a lot. I think when you look at you know spe- specific predictions that by not locking down Sweden would have a hundred thousand deaths or close to it, um, and to date they 've had about you know fifty six fifty seven hundred um, and they 're outperforming a lot of their European neighbors, neighbors like Belgium the U.K., Spain. um, And I think they have shown that, you know, lockdowns don't do what a lot of people, you know, have been saying they do.
2: Mm -hmm. How are they doing as of today? I mean, can you go to a restaurant? Is life, for the most part, back to normal in Sweden today, John?
14: Yeah, I mean, they're doing today what they were doing from the very beginning, and that is that they put certain capacity limits on building, like restaurants and things like that. They didn't want groups larger than 50, But they didn't close schools, Um, and and schools are still, uh, you know, in place now. And it's interesting; not one child has died in Sweden, Um, and and that's something you know we look at here. Like the United States has had, you know, tragically some children have died, Um, but those, you know, some of those we know that they weren't even children in schools. Um, But their policy of, you know, they took a lot of heat for that for having schools open. But I think they've shown that this is a, a, a virus that. The motor for this virus is not children. For whatever reason, children, um, are very resistant to this. Um, and I think, you know, if you talk to the experts in Sweden, they say that the one thing they're more confident about than anything is that they made the right choice on, uh, not, not by leaving their, their schools open. And to your question, if you look today, Sweden's cases are, are, are very low and their, their deaths have really slowed to a crawl, unlike a lot of other places, um, in Europe and in the U.S., where, where cases and deaths are still relatively high,
2: John, um, we are going to be, I think, for years debating the lockdown and lessons we learn from the lockdowns, not only in the U.S. but around the country. How will Sweden play into this discussion? Do you think, John?
14: I think it was really important to have you know a nation like Sweden. You know, we know that some U.S. states kind of took a similar path where they avoided the strict lockdowns, but we, we kind of want um, you know. For lack of a better term a, term, a control group where we can say we can compare nations that took strict lockdowns and nations that didn't. Um, and I think the one thing we're learning above, you know, everything else is the, the correlation between lockdowns and COVID-19 deaths is very weak. And to the extent that there's a, a correlation at all, it's a negative one, which means, um, when you actually look at the data, nations that have had the strictest lockdowns have actually seen greater spread of the virus. So I think you know Sweden's going to be very important. You know, in years ahead, when we when we look at this, we look at how uh, the collective reaction this virus, um, and and try to look at future pandemics and how we
2: respond. Mm-hmm. John, um, uh, knowing the numbers coming from Sweden, um, have we learned maybe because of Sweden or with the help of Sweden? that COVID-19 is not as deadly as we first thought? Is that fair to say? I mean, we've lost, what, a hundred, nearly 190,000 people in this country today, but have we learned it is not as deadly as we first thought?
14: Yeah, I mean, when you look, um, especially early on, we didn't know how deadly you know COVID-19 was going to be. Um, we feared the worst. And, you know, there was some projections that showed, you know, the U.S. would have, you know, in a best-case scenario, two or three million deaths. Um, and as this has gone has on, we've seen that this virus, for most people, this is not going to be a particularly dangerous virus. For a very small percentage of the population, however, basically for those, you know, 75 years old and, and older, um, and especially if you have, you know, comorbidities or other preconditions, it's a very deadly virus. And, and I think that's sort of the approach a lot of uh, people are scientists are coming to, to realize today is that, that the approach is to really focus on protecting those at-risk populations, but fortunately for, for most people, most you know, healthy people and people you know, under that 75-year-old range, um, they don't have nearly as much to fear from this virus.
2: On our newsmaker line, that's John Miltimore. He's managing editor of FEE.org, talking about Sweden's low death rate, and they, it, 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 I find it interesting that uh, the media and politicians around the world were condemning Sweden. Uh, they didn't have the numbers. We had a surge. They were condemning it a second time. Now you're hearing absolutely nothing about it. Pretty interesting, isn't it? All right, more to come on the Radar Catch Show and Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS listening. You'll know. Let me take a minute right now and talk to you about try day trading. Now, I know a lot of you are working from home now, and you may find yourself with a little extra time than you would normally have if you're driving to and from work and you're thinking, what can I do? How can I value bring more value to my time? Have you thought about try day trading? You know where things are opening I back up. Folks all over Utah, of course, have realized that their situation, their financial situation, especially can change. That's why I want to recommend you consider taking a look at day trading with try day trading. You know with try day trading, you make money regardless of really what the markets are doing. The market was down big time again today. You don't have to worry about that. and when you trade you're using their money. That's right. Try day Trading is so confident in their program and in their training that you make trades using their money and keep up to 80% of the profits. Now, if you're the slightest bit interested, why not take a look at their online tutorial? Try day Trading is offering a 30-day trial for just $10. Fantastic opportunity to see what it feels like to be in control of your financial future. Visit TryDayTrading.com. Try it out for 30 days for only $10. Check it out again. That's TryDayTrading.com. Discover how easy it is to make money from home with TryDayTrading.com.
14: Oh, it's doing great. Give me back my
4: freedom. Give me back.
5: Rod Arquette show on Talk Radio 105.9
2: KNRS. All right, welcome back. Final half hour of the Rod Arquette show with you on this uh, Tuesday. I think it is fair to say that over the years, wars have been fought over this. People have lost their lives, especially out west, where water is maybe one of the one issue uh, that can inflame people's passions. I mean, don't mess with our water. Water is so valuable, especially to an arid state like the state of Utah. Well, that's why I wanted to bring on my next guest and talk about water. A constitutional amendment, actually, is going to be on the ballot two weeks or eight weeks from today. And it all has to deal with water and how it affects your home. That's why I wanted to bring on our next guest, Chris Davros. He is a Salt Lake County Chief Deputy Assessor, talking about this constitutional amendment that we'll all be voting on on tuesday uh tuesday november 3rd and chris is on our newsmaker line right now chris how are you and welcome to the show thanks for joining us chris and i thought we had it there and i don't let's see if i've got him chris have i got you there all right chris there you are chris i've got you there how are you chris i'm
15: doing great thanks for having me on
2: all right thanks for joining us chris Uh, talk about this constitutional amendment and really what it's all about chris
15: Okay. Um, the, the way I understand
4: this issue
15: is we have more than 50 cities across the state of Utah that are providing water to other municipalities outside their boundaries using surplus water co- contracts. And the problem with that is um, surplus water contracts by nature are based on surplus water, So. If the providing city decides that they want to use that water for other purposes or other reasons, they can terminate the water to um, the receiving residents with as little as a 30-day notice. So, the problem, as, as I see it, is we have a lot of properties out there that have temporary water rather than a permanent water source, which of course, can have a dramatic impact on the market value of the property.
2: Mm-hmm. But, Chris, haven't we gotten along without a constitutional amendment in the past? Why do we need it now?
15: The reason we need this amendment to pass is the implications and the ramifications that it will have on the citizens of throughout the state are really scary if it doesn't pass. For example, you know, homes without water, a water source, can be de- condemned by the health department, um, these residents will have an almost impossible time, very difficult time at the very least, obtaining mortgages on these properties, refinancing, insuring the properties. So it's in everybody's best interest to solve this problem and, and get a law in place. Because the bottom line is these, these contracts can be terminated within a 30-day period um, and we need a law in place to protect the residents throughout the state.
2: All right, now yeah, oh, go ahead. Uh, go, ahead. Go, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say it. this
15: issue existed for decades, and you know, um, there's really no need to panic now because we do have a solution in place. The legislature has this constitutional amendment. It'll be Amendment D on the ballot on November 3rd, and I think I just. It's really important to emphasize that that this problem can be solved on the ballot by voting yes on Amendment D. All
2: right. if, If they don't vote for the amendment, but we still have the law, is that law basically toothless, Chris?
15: If they don't pass the law?
2: No, if they pass the law, but if we don't pass it as a constitutional amendment, is that law basically toothless?
15: Absolutely, because my understanding is... House Bill 31 that was um, initiated and drafted by uh, Representative Kim Coleman in 2019, and then also um, Representative Stratton um, played a big part of this. Uh, Basically, HB 31 that solves the problem cannot take effect without the passing of this constitutional amendment. HJR 3, House Joint Resolution 3, it's Amendment d again, on the ballot, just so everybody knows.
2: How many people could be affected by this if we don't pass it, Chris? Uh, People in almost every community around the state?
15: Yes. And, you know, just to give an example, there's over 150,000 residents in Salt Lake County that are receiving their water from Salt Lake City, um, and they live outside of the boundaries of Salt Lake City through these surplus water contracts. So, and I want to emphasize really clearly here that this is a statewide issue and it affects uh, residents throughout the state of Utah. That's why I've um, urged my my boss, Kevin Jacobs, the current Salt Lake County Assessor, and as you said, I'm the Chief Deputy Assessor, to, um, we're sending all the assessors across the state a fact sheet about this issue and we're trying to set up a meeting with the assessors throughout the state to talk to them about the importance of passing this amendment uh, for everyone, all 29 counties and the people that are affected.
2: So as I understand, it, Chris, using the example you shared with a moment ago, Salt Lake City sells some of its surplus water to Salt Lake County residents, but uh, currently Salt Lake City could turn off that tap without any kind of a notice or without any reason as to why they're shutting it off, and this amendment would prevent that. Is that right?
15: Yes, because you're exactly right. They can shut off the water currently with as little as a 30-day notice. And, you know, I think we all, myself included, take this issue for granted a little bit. You know, we turn on the faucet every day, and we just assume there's water coming out, and we have a permanent source of water. But this issue has existed with these surplus water contracts, and they're they're temporary by nature. And this, if this amendment passes, it'll make... It will require that um, the cities providing water uh, to these designated water service areas will have to provide a permanent water source to them, and they can't terminate that water source.
2: Have so we, that would, yeah.
15: this would resolve the problem.
2: Yeah. Have we ever had an incident where a surplus water provider has turned the tap off, Chris, that you're aware of? Not to
15: my knowledge, but the, the problem is we need a law in place so that can't happen to protect the residents and the citizens throughout the state, because, there, you know, there, there, we need a law that prevents that from ever happening. Unfortunately, I, I, to my knowledge anyway, I have never heard of this happening yet. But I think the legislature, you know, this really isn't a political issue. I think everybody from all parties, uh, independents, Republicans, Democrats, this is a community issue, and I think that's why you saw this, Uh, HB 31 fell through unanimously through the House and the Senate because people understand the urgency uh, of getting this done and protecting the citizens from, from this issue.
2: You know, Chris, a lot of times when people go to vote, they see issues like this on the ballot and really don't know a lot about them. They vote either yes or no. A lot of times people will vote no just because, I guess, it makes them feel better. How do you get the word out? Uh, to people, Chris, that maybe using state lawmakers, maybe using the county assessors to get word out to people, you need to pass this. It is that important. And what's the downside if they don't pass it, Chris?
15: Well, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. We need to get the word out. And I want to commend associations and community organizations like ACT, the Association of community community councils together and or other organizations that are doing a great job. Number one, they identified this issue as a significant issue that affects a lot of people throughout the state, and they're doing everything they can to get the word out. Um, I'm working very hard to get the word out to the other assessors and to educate the public about the importance of this passing this issue, and if it doesn't, if it doesn't pass, I, you know I, I'm going to say, you know, my our statutory responsibility as the in the assessor's office or as the assessor and chief deputy assessor is to value every property at market value as of January 1st of the given year. And if there are significant issues like this in place that affect value, you know we work hard to be aware of these and to know about the issues involved. And um, it's critical that this gets solved because i think everybody knows that there's a difference a significant difference in value between between properties that have um, temporary water source versus a permanent water source so if it doesn't pass i mean uh, it's it's going to be up to the legislature to to go back and really really figure mm-hmm. out a way to get this done because ultimately it's in the best interest of the citizens. Like I said, this isn't a political issue. This is a community issue. This is important to everybody out there. That, And, you know, one way to know whether you're affected by this or not is if you look at your water bill, look at who you're paying to. For example, I'll yeah. give an example. Yeah. In Mil- if you live in Mill Creek and you're paying to Salt Lake City, that's an example of this situation. And, and this could have an adverse effect on everyone that's in that situation. Basically, you know, if you're receiving your water from another jurisdiction, um, you could be definitely be subject to the adverse effects of this issue.
2: Chris, final question for you. I know there are a lot of people who may be hearing this saying, I really want to understand this before I vote. Have you got a website set up? What would you recommend? Where should people go to get more information on this, Chris?
15: Um, if they contact uh, ACT, the uh, Association for Community council together they have a fact sheet if uh, we can uh, distribute the fact sheet out to people um, we're, we're trying very hard to get that information like i said these associations this is a really good example rod of grassroots issue politics at its best these organizations like act are working hard to get the message out and so if people want they can go to a contact act organization, they can contact, I mean, we'll give them information. I think that, the you know, there's articles mm-hmm. out in the newspaper about this now, as you know, in the desert news today. KSL's posted this article that I'm involved in. So the issue is getting out there. We just need to keep it out there, keep people aware, and really emphasize, I can't say it more, emphasize the importance of passing Amendment D and voting yes on Amendment D uh in November and right. this issue can be resolved for everyone.
2: All right, Chris. Great advice. Amendment D. We'll get word out as much as we can. Chris, thank you for joining us tonight.
15: Thank you, Rod. I appreciate the opportunity.
2: All right. On our newsmaker line, that's Christopher He is Salt Lake County Chief Deputy Assessor, talking about the importance of approving Amendment D. It will be on the ballot in November. Important for you to pass it if you want water coming to your home. All right. More coming up on the Rod Arquette Show and Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. Let's get news update now. Here's Abby.
1: Thanks, Rod.
11: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.